We're going to look at it this morning, but I, I don't want you to hear the Christmas story. Let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. I want you to let God speak to you. I want you to let him speak to you through this thing. As you well know, when Jesus walked on this earth, he told what were known as parables. You remember that? And the Bible said, I speak to them in parables. And he would tell a story. A sower went out to sow. And it would have something to do. But he wasn't talking about the story. There was a story in the story. You understand that? There was something in there. And the story in the story was what God was actually saying to the people. And this Christmas story, God's speaking through. I believe, and pardon the phrase here. This story is pregnant with the revelation of God's goodness. And he speaks to me and he's spoken so much to me through this little story. I want us to look at some things through it this morning. First thing I want you to see in this great story is simply this. God is working in your life. Doesn't do me any good to know that he's working in the Middle East. I don't live in the Middle East. God is working in your life. You say, well, my life's a mess. I don't mean he's not working. I want you to see this. Luke chapter one, Luke chapter two, verse one. It came to pass in those days, a decree, a rule went out from Caesar. All the world will be registered. A census was taken. Quirinius was governing Syria. Everybody had to go to be registered. Everybody to his own city. Joseph went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the family of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Has this poor girl not been through enough? Has she not suffered enough? And now she's nine months pregnant, not eight months and three weeks. She's nine months pregnant. And they have to journey 90 miles to get to this little town. It's not a bad travel to start with flat land, but once you get closer to Bethlehem, it becomes mountainous. And it's not our mountains, lush mountains, very rocky, hard traveling mountains. Now we often picture Mary's riding on a donkey. The Bible doesn't say anything about a donkey. She may have ridden on a donkey, but she probably walked 90 miles, nine months pregnant to get to this little city. That takes about five days, five, six days. Uh, They didn't check in at the Motel 6 at night. He spread out his cloak and they laid on the side of the road. They got to make this difficult trip. Can't you just sort of say to the father, has this girl not been through enough? Why are you making her travel like this? Watch this. This, uh, at the time Rome ruled the world, one man ruled the world. Rome controlled the whole world. Caesar ruled the world. And he gets this wild idea in his head, never been done before. He said, I want to know the name of every person on the planet. Every known person on the planet had to register themselves just because he wanted it. He shut the world down for about three weeks. All the businesses had to shut down because you had to travel wherever you're. And you had to go back to the town as far as you could trace your lineage. That's where you had to go to. So the whole world was moved around for about two or three weeks. Business was shut down. Now he had to go back to Bethlehem, a 90 mile journey, because he was of the house of David. Do you remember David? David the Great? What did God Almighty tell David the Great? The Messiah will be a direct descendant of you. That was a promise he made to David. So after he made that promise, David had a son. His name was Solomon, who had a son, who had a son, who had a son. Do that 28 times. And the next son's name is Joseph. Joseph was 28 removed in the male lineage of David. That's why he had to go back to that town. So God Almighty dumps the whole earth upside down for a few weeks to do one thing, to get a little 16-year-old pregnant girl into a little obscure village. Why did he have to do that? 
Because if you go way, way back where nobody ever goes in the Old Testament to a little book called Micah, there's a verse in Micah that says this. You, O Bethlehem, smallest of all in Judea, out of you will come a ruler who will reign forever. And because of that one verse, because God's word can never be broken because of that one verse, Micah 5, 2, he had to get that girl all the way back over there. So he put it in the ruler's heart, make the whole world do a sense. That was God in the earth moving to get his will done to help people. He did all that just to fulfill his word. Now, let me tell you something. The Bible tells me this in Daniel 4, 17, the Lord rules in the affairs of men. God was working in the earth in that day. He's working in the earth today. It still don't look like it to me. We got disease rampant. We got people have lost their minds, viciousness, wars and rumors of wars. God is working in the earth today. The only reason you and I knew it was him then was because we have the perspective of history. But let me tell you why I know all the things that are going on in the earth today. I've known they were coming for years because I know the Bible. And everything is going just like he said it would because he rules in the affairs of men. God is working in the earth. Now, let's bring this down to the level. What about your life? Do you believe the hand of God's working in your life? He said, Brother Brian, things are not well. Things have been dumped upside down. It's miserable. How do you know that's not him? He said, why is he doing this to me? Everything he does is for good. Everything is not always good. Let me ask you a question. That poor girl had to travel 90 miles. You ever traveled 90 miles pregnant? It's hard enough in a car finding a rest stop, isn't it, girls? That poor girl, that inconvenienced their lives. It dumped them upside down. It shut his business down for a while. It was not fun, but it was God. And great good came out of it. Let me tell you something. This book's true. One verse alters everything. Philippians 2.13 says this. God is working. God is working, let me finish it, in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. That one verse tells me the hand of God's on my life. That one verse tells me when things are going like I don't like it, he may be in it for good. I'm just gonna give you a little example. I've seen this all my life and I want you to see it in your life. I met Jesus as a young man. I was saved. I was so radically changed when I met Jesus. I just turned around and I decided I wanted to be a highway patrolman. So I go to school, I'm gonna go to school, be a highway patrolman. Well, I'm speaking in churches and traveling around and uh, folks begin to say to me, I believe God's called you to be a preacher. And I would say, get thee behind me, you devil. I, the, I despise the thought of being a preacher. I don't want to fight with a bunch of old ladies over mission money. Fruit salad at a meeting. I want to drive fast and shoot people and it'd be legal. I didn't want to be a preacher. I want to enjoy my life. But you know what? It became obvious he was. I knew it. He, his hand came down on me and I knew I was called to preach. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to tell him no. I'd read the book of Jonah. You don't tell him no. So okay, I, I said, I'm gonna be, I'll be a preacher. Amen. Drop out of school for that. I told my church where I was at. I was going to church in Charlotte. Told my church. Afterwards, a week or so, a businessman came to me and he said, uh, my wife and I, he owned a car, an automobile dealership in Charlotte, right on Independence Boulevard. He said, my wife and I want to send you to school. We'll pay for you to go to school. Since God's called you to preach, we'll pay for you to go to school. But we want you to go to a school in Oklahoma. And they're a great school. They train ministers well. You go, he said, you go, we'll pay the way, and I'll give you a car while you're there. I'll let you use a car off my lot while you're there. I thought, this is the hand of God. Especially if I get picked the car, this is going to be good here. 
I went and told my preacher, I said, that so-and-so businessman, I said, he, he, uh, he's going to pay for me to go to this school in Oklahoma, preaching school, and he's going to provide me a car. He said, son, you can't do that. I said, why not? He said, because they're not Baptist. He said, son, we're Baptist. You got to go to a Baptist school. Well, see, I'm brand new say, I'm saved here. I don't understand that stuff. Well, he, wasn't, he, was, he was wrong about the Baptist thing, but God was in it. God was in that thing. So I listened to my preacher and I told the guy, no, thank you. Keep your car, keep your money. And the preacher got me in the Baptist college there. So I went to Baptist college. God sent me there. I know he put me there. Not to learn how to preach. I did not learn how to preach there. I had to unlearn a lot of things I learned. I'm not being unkind. I just had to unlearn a lot of what I learned there. They told me hell wasn't real and the Bible wasn't true. Oh, that did me a lot of good. God sent me to that college to meet a woman. He ordered my steps and put me there so she could be my sweetheart, mother of my children. And had I never met her, I'd have never set foot in this region right here. God sent her there to meet me. She's still working through forgiveness with him on that. <laughs> she went to UNCG to learn how to teach. After two years, her brother graduated from high school here and he said, I'm, I'm gonna go to the Baptist college. She, just don't know. she said, I just said, well, I'll go with you. She said, I don't know why I said it. He went there and then he transferred and left her up there with me. I want you to see the hand of God in your life. Things that it didn't look. Listen, he does not say, hey, this is me. This is me. He just works to do his will. And this passage teaches me that God's hand is still working in the earth. He's working in your life. If all of a sudden the curtain were pulled back and you could go, that was him right there. Learn to see the hand of God in your life. Not just the big stuff moving you here and there. You'll see his hand every day if you can look for it. Pray this prayer. I pray this prayer every morning. Order my steps. Order my steps every day. Put people in front of me. I got in trouble because I told the story. I'm in the grocery store. This happens a lot to me. I was in the grocery store and I turned the corner. There's a lady standing there and she just started crying. The fellow I was telling, he said, well, I can understand that. She just started crying. She said, I told God this morning, if I could just talk to that man, he could help me. And here you are in the women's lows. I want you to, I want you to see the hand of God in your life. God's hand was in this little insignificant light here. Number two, I want you to see something else here. Everybody gets to choose. God gives everybody a free choice. He'll never force you to do anything. You want to see something strange? Watch this with me in Luke chapter two. Read this with me. So it was verse six, Luke two, six. While they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, Laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. What is going on here? How many of you believe, how many of you believe that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, is watching over his son's birth? How many of you believe his eyes on this situation? This is the biggest thing he did in the earth right here. Now, dear ones, let me teach you something here. Unlike me and you, I, my creation moment was the conception. When sperm touches egg, that's when your life begins. That's what the Bible teaches. That's, that's the moment life begins. That's when you begin to exist. Jesus did not begin to exist in that womb. Jesus was way before he was in that womb. The book of Genesis said, God said, let us, us make man in our image. Who was he talking to? John chapter one says this, the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word became a man and walked among us and we beheld his glory. That of the only begotten of the father. Jesus always was. There came a split second in history when seated right there on the throne beside his father, he had to step down into that little girl's womb. And he's in that womb. You believe the father was overseeing the birth of his son? Explain something to me. 
God Almighty just moved the entire world to get her in Bethlehem. Could he not get an empty hotel room? <laughs> Nothing is in the Bible that doesn't have a message to it. Everything in here is significant. What is this about? No room in the inn. You know, if you're the innkeeper and, and God comes to the door, you just tell some poor dude, you out of your room, Bubba. Why was there no room in the inn? This is one of the greatest prophetic messages in the world. Everybody gets to make a choice about Jesus. You can either open the door of your life to him or you can tell him, I don't have room for you in here. This is the great prophecy that God would visit the earth. And in that passage I quoted in John 1, I've had people say, what about the person who, the native in darkest Africa that never hears the name of Jesus? Listen to what the Bible says about that. In John chapter one, he is the true light who gives light to every man that comes into the world. Every human being somewhere in your life, God's going to meet you. He's going to speak to you. He's going to reveal himself to you. And you're going to have to make a decision about what to do. And you can do like Mary we saw last week who said, opened her life, said, let it be unto me. Or you can do like the innkeeper and say, I have no room for you here. It's one of the sad pictures in all the world that goodness would come to the earth and men for some reason would close the door on God and say, not in my house. Dear ones, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open that door. You need God in your life. More than you need anything on this earth, you need to open the door of your life to God and say, I don't understand all this. I can't explain it all, but I open my life to my creator. I want you in my life. Don't be like the innkeeper. He missed the opportunity of a lifetime to let God come in. Number three, another great picture in this passage here. And I, I just, this is some more good. All right, you're God almighty and you're gonna send the greatest message that'll ever hit the earth to the earth. The only message that matters a thousand years from now. Who are you gonna tell the greatest message you ever told? Who are you gonna tell? Well, surely you'll get the preachers together and tell them. Why didn't he get the preachers together? Because they'd have had a discussion and boogered it up. You know why he didn't tell them. Why didn't he get the great, uh, why didn't he get academia together and tell the great thinkers of the earth? Why didn't he get the kings together? Who did he send the greatest message ever sent to? And behold, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. You know what a shepherd is? Shepherd is a cowboy with the wrong animal. <laughs> they just, just a cowboy that takes care of sheep. I, I pray I don't offend anybody here, but we have glamorized shepherd. Not so in that day. Uh, if you were to say, what is the lowest job in our culture today? And again, I don't mean to offend anybody, but you'd probably say garbage man, trash collector. My humble opinion, I think it'd be a pretty good job myself. Get to be outdoors. You don't have to mess with people. Either the lid opens or it don't. <laughs> but we would probably consider that the lowest job in our culture. Shepherd was the lowest job for people who couldn't do anything else. And who does God Almighty come to with the greatest message ever told? What's the message? God has this tremendous love for the common man. God Almighty prefers the common man. In our culture, we're all hepped up over. They're up there and, and I got to get friends that can get me somewhere. God comes down to the common man. Let me quote a verse too. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. First uh, Corinthians 1:26 says this, look around, look around you, brethren, see the people that God has chosen. God has not chosen many intelligent. God has not chosen many shakers and movers powerful. God has not chosen 
the wealthy. God has chosen the weak. God has chosen the shamed. God has chosen the common man to be his friends that no flesh might glory in his presence. Demons, if God had to choose between, and I, listen, it doesn't say not any, it says not many. So sometimes he takes a CEO of shaker or mover. But as a general rule, God has a tender heart and a great love for the common man like you and me. And not only is he like that, what do we all want to do? Man, if I, if I could become their friends, I'd be somebody. God says, turn around and go the other way. He wants us to be like him. Let me quote to you Romans 12, 16. Do not seek to have friends that can get you up. Associate with the common man and the lowly. Sort of reminds me of a great hymn that was written years ago that I loved called uh, I've Got Friends in Low Places. <laughs> John 15, 15 says this, No longer do I call you servants. I have called you my friends. Because everything the Father's told me, I'm telling you. Dear ones, when God got me as a friend, now he's got friends in low places. God loves the common man. In American religion, we've made it where you have to be good, polished, get your act together and come on to church. God says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to myself. God loves sinful people and he loves the common man. That's why he appeared to the shepherds. Number four, this is going to be so deep. I hope you can get it. I know this. Hang with me. We're normally pretty cookie level here, but I'm fixing to go deep. Here's the greatest message of this whole passage. God is good. That's the deepest message you'll ever hear. It's the greatest message you'll ever hear. God is good. All right. Let me ask some questions here. How many of you think there might be a God? All right. If you think there's a God, then what's the next question you got to ask? I wonder what he's like. Is he stern? Is he mad? Does he know my name? What, what do you, if he's out there, you got to ask, what's he like? All right. You know, I, I was taught wrong when I was a young man, went to church, some, it was awful. But I was scared of God. I, I was scared of God because I was such a, I mean, I was a bad person. I was a great sinner. And then folks at the church, they made sure I knew how great a sinner I was. They told me I was a great sinner. And they were mad about me being a sinner. And you know what I thought? Mad Christians, mad God. Amen. Mean to me Christians, mean to me God. And when they said things like, you're going to go to hell, I, I sounded to me like they were glad about it. I'm just telling you the truth as a young man, I was scared of God. I think it's because I met some of his people. But you know what I found in this book right here? What is the first thing God Almighty ever spoke to humanity after his son came to earth? What is it? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. If God spoke to you today, you know what it'd be? It'd be good news and it'd bring you great joy. That sounds pretty good to me because I went to church. What I got was great advice that brought me great consternation. There was no good news where I heard it. There was no joy in what I heard. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And here's the message. I want you to see the message that God brings to humanity. Now listen to me. He's still the same. This is still his message to you today. It's in verse 14 and it says this. And then he said, along came with that, with the angel came a multitude of angels. I want you to listen to their message. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, peace, goodwill toward men. You have to look at the show. You have to look at the angels to understand what they're doing here. The angels look toward heaven and they go, glory to God. 
Then they look down at humanity and they go, peace, goodwill to you. They're praising God and they're announcing God's message to the earth. Tell me the two things God says to me. Number one, peace. What does that mean? I'm not mad at you. I have nothing against you. I'm not here to hurt you. I want you, I want you to know you're looking at a man who has found peace with God. It's not because I straightened up. It's not because I did better. It's because on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, having been made right by faith, we have peace with God through the sacrifice of His Son. Dear ones, that baby coming down to earth that day is God Almighty saying, I want to make peace with you. I want me and you to be at peace. I'm not mad. Let me make an announcement. Can I just be logical for a moment? That's an unusual thing in church. Can I be logical for a moment? If he's mad at you, he's so big, he'd have got you by now. He's not mad at you. You say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what he's done. I want you to listen to Isaiah 53. God hath laid upon him the sins of us all. He hath poured out his wrath upon his son so he could pour out his kindness on me. He made his son suffer so I could be blessed. Joy to the world. What does it say? Peace. And then what does it say? Good news. Good will to man. You know why he captured me? Not so I could work for him. He's got one angel could do more in five seconds than I can in five lifetimes. He don't need me to work for him. You know why he captured me? So he could be good to me. That's what it means. Goodwill toward men. I want to be good to you. I want to cleanse your heart. I want to get the hatred and the prejudice and the pain and the bitterness. and the, so I want to get the garbage out of you, son. I want to be good to you. I want to bring friends into your life. Real friends, not your druggy buddies. <laughs> Real friends. I want you to be healthy, son. I want you to have a future. I want you to get up with a purpose for living. I want you to dream again. I want to be good to you. The message of God is I want peace with you and I want to be good to you. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's the revelation of a God who wants peace with people and wants to be good to them. Shows us great mercy. And uh, let me throw in one more here. <clears throat> I'm going to try to get this word right. If I mess up, don't laugh at me. You know what I find in this passage right here? The anonymity of God. He likes to work anonymous. Let me point something out to you in case you've never seen it in this story before. What's going on in the earth? Did you know that they were having a political battle at that time between three rulers? Great political battle. The, uh, you know, the Jerusalem Wildcats were probably playing the Nazareth Bearcats for the state championship, had sports going on. Had all the, you know, the movies, had the plays and all the, in other words, culture was just flying right along. Nobody knew that in a little stable behind a hotel, God Almighty was working the greatest work in world history. Nobody knew it because he works anonymous. A lot of the things he does in the earth, nobody knows. This is, listen, this, you know, if we do something, we want, the, we want the paper to come take a picture. I gave three cans of food to the homeless shelter. I don't need my picture in the paper. We want people to know what we've done. We love to broadcast our deeds. Let me tell you the nature of God. It's found in Matthew 6, 1. When you do a charitable deed, don't let anybody see it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. You just do it in front of me. When you pray, don't pray to show off. Just go in your closet, talk to me. He loves anonymity and he loves to work anonymous. Here's the truth of the matter is, you know, the only reason anybody knew what he was doing that night 
because he appeared to those shepherds. And I want you to listen to what those shepherds said in verse 15. They said, come, let's go tell the thing that the Lord has made known to us. They'd have never known it if God hadn't shown them what was going on. They'd have never known that unto us a child is born. Can I ask you a question? How many of you believe that Jesus is the son of God? You didn't figure that out. You didn't find that out. God has visited you. God has shown that to you. Let me quote to you from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said this, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but you've revealed them unto humble people. If you believe in Jesus, God has visited you. You could never figure this out on your own. If my friend is an atheist and I got some atheist friends and they scorn me for wasting my life on this boogeyman fairy tale, they're not dumb, they're blind. I'm not smart. God has visited me. There's a big difference. One day they're sitting at a campfire. Jesus said to Simon, what do you think about me? And Simon said, you are the savior of the world. You are the son of God. And Jesus said, you're a very blessed man, Simon. No man taught you this. God has put this in your heart to know this. Only God can show you who Jesus is. He's working in the earth. And I want you to know how blessed you are if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you put your faith in Him, you're the most blessed person on the earth. Listen, I don't care if you got millions of dollars to throw away. I don't care if you got a Ferrari. I tried to ride one one time. I can't even fit in stinking things. I don't care if you got a Learjet. I don't care if you just want American Idol. All of that is shifting sand that will disappear when the tide comes in. Me and Jesus are going to last forever. I'm a blessed man. You're looking at the world's most blessed man right here. And this situation where God Almighty did his great work in the earth and he only showed it to just a little handful of people. Kings didn't know it. Preachers didn't know it. But humble people saw it. If you believe in Jesus, God's been good to you. He has opened his heart to you and he's revealed himself to you. Let me quit by pointing something out here. I love this passage right here. What's the big question out of this whole thing? God Almighty steps down to the earth puts a baby in a little girl's womb like this. He's born in poverty. He grows up in obscurity. He, he raises the dead, works miracles when he turns 30 years old and then he dies naked on a cross. What, what is going on here? What's the big question? Why? Why do you do all this stuff? Why do you go through all this? Why? You know, if, if I believe that God created me, and I do, I don't believe I'm an accident. I exist because he wanted me to. And that's the only reason. The only reason you're on this planet is so God wanted you here. You exist because he wanted you to. Then what's the big question? Why? Did he just throw us down here and say, do the best you can, I'll see you at the end. Was I created just to goof off and eat cheeseburgers and burp? Why am I here? Why are you here? I found the answer. He showed it to me. It's in his word. I'm reading one day and I came across this verse, Psalm 100 verse three, and it says this. Know this, the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. I don't believe I'm the result of a biological explosion. I don't believe that a slug crawled out of the ocean, started walking, became a monkey, and here I am. I believe God knit me in my mother's womb. I exist because God put his hand in there and made me. I knew you before I knit you. I exist because God's got me here. Now here's the question. I read that verse and then I just stopped and I wrote in my Bible on the backside, I said, why? And I put a question mark. I want to know why God made me. I want to know why I'm on this earth. And I just stopped and I just paused and I just looked up and I said, 
I believe you made me. I believe you made people. I want to know why you made us. And I'm going to pray this through until you tell me why you made me. It doesn't offend him. He likes that. Seek ye the Lord. He likes for people to go looking for him. And he answered me. And he answered me with a question. Here's what he said to me. He said, why did you make your children? And we have three children. We planned them all. And uh, I just sort of jokingly said, so I'd have somebody to help me work on the farm. I mean, if you had your children to work, you got stung. We paid cash, just college alone, college alone. We paid cash as our kids went through school. I got receipts for over $300,000. You think I got that much work on the farm? I them. And get to make the room once in a while, clean it up. I didn't have my kids to work for me. And I said, I'm going to pray about this and I'll tell you. And I took a legal pad and I started writing, why did you have your children? And I finally distilled three reasons I had my children. Number one, I wanted to love them. Number two, I wanted to be good to them. And I've been good to my children, just like you have yours. I wanted to be good to them. That was in my heart. But what's the third reason I had those children? I was hoping they'd love me back. I was hoping we could have a relationship. I was hoping, I dreamed of me being, let me quote 2 Corinthians 6 to you. I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me. And so I went back and I prayed and I told him, I had my kids to, I wanted to love them. I wanted to be good to them. And I wanted them to love me in return and have a relationship with me. And he said to me, me too. Me too. You found the reason that I created you. I created you to love you. I created you to be good to you and bless you. And he has done it. And I created you hoping you would love me in return and we could have a relationship and we could enjoy each other. The whole purpose of humanity is wrapped up in one sentence. A lot of churches quote it, start their services. It's called the Westminster Short Catechism. And it says this, the whole purpose of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Actually, it says, and I changed it to by. Don't tell them I changed their phrase. There was, you were created to glorify God by enjoying him as a father forever. That's why you're put on this earth. And this story, it's not about little shepherds in their little bathrobes and a, and a little donkey with a little girl on it and an innkeeper who ain't got enough sense to know who he's throwing out of the play. That's not what it's about. It's about there is a God and he knows your name and he's in your life. And he came down here to reach out to you. And the fact that that baby came to this earth is proof that he cares about you and he loves you. But now we're right back now as we're going to close. Guess where we're standing right now? We're standing right where that innkeeper stood. God was, God was less than three feet from him. God was standing right in front of him. And he had to make a decision. Might be a little inconvenient. Do I, do I make room for God? Or do I close the door and tell God you'll have to go somewhere else? This is the story of every human being. You've got to make a decision. Jesus is not something you add on the side. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fork in the road for every human being. And you've got to either say, come in, take over. Or you've got to close the door and say, you're going to have to go away and don't mess with me. I plead with you. As the scripture says, we plead with you. Open your heart to Jesus. He said, I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. You've heard enough to make a decision. I've been doing this 40 years. I don't understand it, but I enjoy it. I'm a child of the living God. I hear his voice. He's good to me. I'm 63 years old. I'm going to croak one of these days. No, I'm not. 
No, I am not. I'm never going to croak. You never read John 1:17. He who believeth in me shall never croak. You never heard that? I've already, I've got it laid out for Rich and Thompson. It's only, it's in my papers, my headstone at the Mount Olive Baptist Church, Biggers, Brian. I ain't putting my middle name on that. I wouldn't put that on nobody. Brian, born 9757, born again, 71775. And then across the bottom, he who believes in me will never die. You say, you're a good man. I'm the greatest sinner this world ever knew, but I've met the greatest savior in world history. And believing in Jesus has sealed it forever. Now listen, <laughs> I, I've settled mine. What about you? You don't know how good God is to you and how good he's been just to let you hear his truth. He's revealed himself to you. But it's your decision. It's decision time, dear ones. Lord Jesus, I praise you. I love you so much. Thank you. Oh, praise God for his goodness and grace. The creator of the universe riding in a little girl's tummy across rocky trails to get to a little crossroads village so that God could appear in the earth. Not to teach us, not to finance us, not to rule over us, but to go to a cross and die for us so we could have peace with you and you could be good to us and you could be a father to us. Dear Lord Jesus, I might as well say it in front of everybody, religion's made me sick all my life. It still does. Being the friend of God is the privilege of a lifetime. Thank you for your goodness. I pray for every person in this room. I don't care if they're preachers, been in church all their lives or prostitutes who were up half the night last night. I thank you that you have knocked on their door today and you've spoken to them. I pray in the precious, precious name of Jesus. I'd crawl across broken glass for people to get to your son, but everybody gets to make their own decision. Holy Spirit of Jesus, go through this room and draw people's hearts to him. I trust you for that. Friend, it's time to decide. God has spoken to you right there where you're at. I want you to pray with me. I want you to open your life to Jesus. Open your heart to him, best you know how. The Bible said this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the best news you ever heard. Let's settle it this Christmas week. Let's settle it. Right there where you're seated, pray this with me. Pray it in your heart quietly. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came to this earth to die for me. I believe you love me. And on this day, I receive you as my savior, my Lord, and the love of my life, best friend I ever had. I confess my sins. I ask you to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. Thank you for the forgiveness of God. I want to be a child of God. And as best I know how, I come to you humbly and receive you today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for being so good to me. I'll follow you all the days of my life. You just show me how. And I will see you in heaven one sweet day. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. If you prayed that minute, raise your hand real high where I can see it. Put your hands up real high where I can see it. Thank you. Put all those down. I give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Father, just a few years from now, actually just a few moments from now, your word said that the earth will be rolled up and burned with fire and the works in it. Only one thing's going to matter. Who chose Jesus? Who closed the door? Nothing else will matter. Thank you that we're to be occupied with our day-to-day -day affairs. But thank you. There's only one eternal question. Praise God for the Son of God. 
who loved me enough to do what he did so I could live forever. Let Jesus be glorified. But now, dear Jesus, I'm not just going to wait till I get to heaven to know you. I want to know you on this earth. I want to walk with you now. I give you all the praise and glory. And while we're celebrating this Christmas and enjoying the lights and the, and the ornaments and, the, and all the food, everything, I pray that somewhere along the way this week we'll pause and look back at, the, at that first Christmas tree. Ugliest Christmas tree in world history. No lights, no ornaments, no branches, just two boards. But under that tree was the greatest gift ever given. Thank you for the kindness of the Lord. I pray above all the din and racket of celebration this week that in our hearts we'll always be saying, oh, come let us adore him. Jesus, our Lord, be glorified. Thank you. Thank you for this Sunday. In his precious name we pray. Amen.